so my best friend and I, we met in college and we had a lot of like really big moments. Um, <laughs> not only do we have like big moments, we also had really big fights. Like there was a fight that was so dramatic that <laughs> somebody starts blaring the, where is the love? Mute, like whatever that song is in our foyer while we're fighting and storming out like dramatic fights um and i actually like remember what we were fighting about most of the time uh, but the thing that i like remember most vividly was our like moments of reconciliation like i can still feel those times that we sat and reconciled. I remember the exact table at the wedding that I saw her and just like went up to her and was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I love you. And that feeling of goodness and rightness, I just, I, I still feel that. And I remember the exact bench in Atlanta at a hotel that we sat and sobbed at and just talked through where we want our friendship to go. Once again, that, that feeling of reconciliation that breath, that things are good and right again. And so tonight, as we talk about reconciliation, as I try to use words to explain why God is about reconciliation, really what I'm, I'm wanting is, is for you to, to be able to experience that feeling, that, that knowledge of what reconciliation is. So in our sermon series, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've come up to a point where Jesus is going to be doing a lot of phrases where he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And what he's doing <laughs> is he's going and saying, hey, you've heard all of these moral laws being said, but really what, what I want for you with these laws, and this is what the intention of them was before, was for you to be changed from the inside out. Not just people that don't murder, that don't do these things, but that you are people that inwardly are not angry so that murder does not come out. He wants us changed from the inside out. So we'll look at our passage tonight. He says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother is subject to judgment. So there's a lot of different passages in scripture that talk about anger. And one of the most other most like popular ones, famous ones, is out of Ephesians 4. And it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. So was Jesus contradicting him, like contradicting Paul in this, saying, don't be angry, but then Paul says, in your anger, don't sin? No, not at all. Being angry is a very natural emotion to have. It's, it's a reaction. Just like if you were to stub your toe and feel pain, when something that you value is devalued, that reaction is anger. We all have different ways that we react to it, depending on our predisposition or Enneagram, <laughs> um, our upbringing. I mean, for me, I cry a lot when I get angry. But experiencing that is very human. Like if you didn't get angry when your friend was hurt, that would be very inhumane. So it's not so much the anger it's what you do with it. And so there's three different levels in Greek of anger. There's the orge, paraorge, and thamos. Orge is this, um, that, exactly what I was saying, like this reaction to something that has been devalued, that is valuable to you. The, in your anger, do not sin. And then the next one is this paraorge. 
para meaning suppressed, stuffed down. So it is when we stuff down our anger, when we push it down and keep it in. And then there's a Thamos anger. And that, think of a thermometer rising up. That's like the rage anger that's boiling over. Um, that is when we stuff things down for so long that it turns into self-loathing and deep depression. And I would guess that most of us, we like to sit in that para-orge anger, the anger that's stuffed down that we, we keep inside. And, and we say, okay, well, it's, it's about what I do with my anger. That's a sin, so I'll just ignore it. I'll just push it in. I'll hide it. But that is where that Ephesians passage comes up in your anger. Do not, or do not go to sleep in your anger. Because when we stuff it down, when we put it in, it pollutes everything around us. It's like when you have a banana in your lunchbox and everything tastes like banana. Or like something nasty's in your fridge and it just smells everything up. That is what this anger does to you. It literally stinks up everything in you. You become bitter. You see things in a very negative light. It steals your joy. It literally can make your head hurt and your insides all messed up. It makes you trust people less. And people also have a much harder time with you, which is interesting because you're like, I'm stuffing my anger, I'm hiding it so that people don't know. But really, if you've ever met a bitter person, you know that they're bitter. It's kind of hard to hide that. So the passage continues on. Again, if you say to your brother, Raka, you're answerable to the courts. And if you say to your brother, you fool, you are in danger of the pits of hell. We learned back in kindergarten that our words hurt others. And those of us who have been hurt badly by words know that it kind of does feel like death walking around even when we're alive, when people throw certain insults at us. It really does tear away at our soul. So this word raka that he's talking about in this passage, it's, it's as if there was a word that was spit in somebody's face. That's what it means. And then you fool was a word for like a moral worthlessness. Telling somebody, letting them know in whatever way that they are worth less than you, worthless in general. And it's not just a, a, a word, it could be a look, which is really important right now with our masks covering everything else. It could be passivity, the way we treat somebody. But what Jesus is saying here is when we insult people, when we treat our brother with anger, that puts us in danger of, of the fires of hell. He's saying this is a big deal. He's not just saying just maybe don't do it. He's saying judgment is coming when you treat your brother in these ways. And so why is this such a big deal? Why is this, why is he comparing this to murder? Because Jesus has come to bring us life. He created us, giving us life. He died on the cross so that we may have new life. And what we are doing when we throw these insults at our brothers, when we tear life away from them, when they take worth from them, we are doing the opposite of what he has come to do. We're tearing them down, creating death, when he is about bringing life 
So of course this is so important to him that he would have and warn us to make sure that we too are people giving life, not tearing it away. So what do we do then when we get angry? Because we're going to get angry. Well, first, we are people that are supposed to be slow to anger and then have it leave quickly. So as it rises up, we recognize it. We look at it in the face. We take inventory of what it is and we begin to work it out, kind of like a potter works out clay. It's really hard, so it takes a lot of molding and work. You begin to work it out. Deal with it, not stuff it away. And then maybe you're like, oh, but I'm a person that anger's pretty quick to rise fast up, not really slow. Well, then there's some work to be done inside. That is practices of some spiritual disciplines, silent solitude, changing you from the inside out. And maybe it's putting on compassion. Because what helps us <laughs> be less angry with a brother, with somebody? Well, it's when we move towards them, it's when we befriend them, it's when we know the stuff going on in their life. So we become more compassionate and caring and feeling for them and we become less angry with them. And then sometimes being angry, it means evaluating the things that we value. Maybe we're putting too much value in something. Maybe we recognize what we've been putting value in is, is maybe not a great thing to put value into. As we mature as followers of Jesus, the things that we value do and should change. Like Jack's my three-year-old, not three-year-old yet, almost. Um, he gets so mad when I don't let him have a sucker for breakfast. If I was getting mad right now for not having a sucker for breakfast, you guys would tell me to grow up. Now, I hope in a couple years that Jack's actually gets mad and angry if somebody treats his little sister poorly. The things we value change as we mature. There's a book called A Severe Mercy that I've talked about a lot this week randomly, but there's a scene in it that um, the couple buys this new car and immediately they take a sledgehammer to it and put a big dent in it because they wanted to make sure that their value was not in the car itself, but in the life that would happen within the car. And that's been a, has actually been a really big deal for me because I, going back to my car, um, I want my car too to be a thing that is filled with life. And I want to um, have my kids have a blast in this car. So when Jax is coloring in the back and leaves his red crayon there for the sun to beat down on and melt everywhere, I'm okay. And when he dumps his slushy because he's playing with his straw and it stains my seats, I don't get too angry because what I value is the adventure we just had, the fun we just had. Where we put our value can change. So what if you have done a lot of that working it out? What if you're like, I am <laughs> been trying to work out this thing that I'm so angry with about, and I just, I just am here and I'm angry. What do you do? Well, Jesus instructs us as he continues in this passage to move towards reconciliation. If you are bringing your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled with your brother. Then come and offer your gift at the altar. These words would have been super radical for people listening right then. Because 
when they would bring their gift to the altar, oftentimes they had to walk a really long way and they wouldn't get to come to the temple all that often to offer their gifts. So they would have journeyed a long way and then to say, I came all this way and you're telling me to like go, not just like hop on my FaceTime and be like, hey, I'm sorry, but you want me to go all the way back and then come all the way back here to offer my gift? That would have been really hard to hear. And then you have all these Pharisees around and they're saying, it is an abomination to leave your sacrifice on the ground. That's not okay. But what Jesus is saying here is no, it's way more offensive to offer your gift, to be in this place of worship and not be reconciled with your brother than it is to leave it on the ground, to go and be reconciled. It echoes this Old Testament word of he desires mercy over sacrifice. Another interesting thing is the sacrifice that was probably the most common that these people would have been giving was the, the peace offering, this peace sacrifice. And the picture of a peace offering was inviting God to dinner. So it makes sense that God wasn't really okay with people offering this up because God is Father saying, hey, you want me to come to dinner with you, my child, while you're intentionally leaving your brother, your sister out? Father would not be very happy with dining knowing that their other child is not being invited in. So if you haven't picked up on it, pretty much offering your gift, being in worship without reconciling with your brother, failure to launch. There's, he's saying, no, this isn't, this isn't it. So I, I really actually have come to love this, this section of this passage for a while now, ever since I like reread it. Um, I always thought when I read this passage that it um, was saying, if you leave, if you go to your alt, if you go to the altar and then you're offering a gift and you realize you have something against your brother, go. But what it's saying is if you are offering your gift and there, remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. And it's not even qualifying, like if you've done something against your brother. Yes, that is part of it. So if you've done something Go and be the one to ask for forgiveness. Apologize. Go to them quickly. But if you remember that somebody might have something against you, even if you don't think you did it or did something wrong, it's saying go. You, the worshiper, lay down your pride and take that first initial step and go. And that's hard because it, it, it bears that question. Well, they might not, they might not receive this well. They might not want to reconcile with me. It's not, it's not saying if they want to reconcile with you, it's saying you go and be reconciled with them. Which is pretty incredible and pretty kind of God to say that we are going to be the ones to go because it's so hard to confront people. And so to have somebody say, hey, I know things have been kind of weird. You want to talk about it? Is just a gift that we can offer to so many people, but he says, if you, the worshiper, know that somebody has something against you, you go and be reconciled. And we don't really do this very well. I say we often are like, okay, well, I'm gonna just pray about it. But if somebody has something against me, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna talk to people about it. I'm gonna weigh my pros and cons. I'm gonna think if, well, if they want to be reconciled to me, maybe. Um, I don't know, maybe they don't want to, so it's going to be weird. Um, and we do all of that, and we don't just go. 
The scripture is not just saying pray and think and read. It's saying go and be reconciled. So right now, some of you may be hearing that voice being like, oh, shoot, I better go. Go. Let the value you have for your brother or sister be higher than the value you have for it being a little awkward for you to jump off of Zoom or leave a living room right now. This might be on a podcast and I can talk to you about it later. It's okay. But go and be reconciled. Don't just sit in it. So reconciliation has um, a bunch of different definitions for it. Receiving or returning back into favor, renewing relationship, adjusting differences owed, changing or exchanging. And isn't this exactly what Jesus did for us? He drew us back to himself. He exchanged himself for us. He restored us back into relationship with him. The cross <coughs> is an act of reconciliation. That is what the cross is. So if we as followers of Jesus are not showing that reconciliation power, if we're not showing off that forgiveness, who else is? How else will people know that that is what God is about? Drawing back people into his favor. We are people like Jason talked about a few weeks ago who are salt and light, who are giving people concrete realities of what God is about. See, if you were to talk to any of your friends about a lie that they may believe about themselves, it's because of a very specific thing that had happened to them. Somebody believes they're unloved because they were rejected. Somebody believes that they are worthless because they were betrayed. I could go on with all of that. There are things that happen to people and that's what they believe. And so if we are not people that reconcile with people, what are they gonna believe? That they're not worth being reconciled with. They're not worth being forgiven. We get to show that to them. That we take that first step, that we take that sacrifice of our own pride that sacrifice of saying, I don't know if you're going to want this relationship, but I'd like to renew it. And just a little side note, um, I'm not saying that you need to go and call up your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend and say, hey, we should be friends or get back together. I'm not saying you should put yourself in danger. And I'm also not saying ignore your reconciliation with yourself. What I'm saying is that we need to agree with God that everyone has unsurpassable worth. And we need to agree with him that they are worth being reconciled to him and to us. And that may look really hard for us. But we need to move towards that. And, and as I said at the beginning, like we are going to be these changed people from the inside out. So our relationship might look different. It might not be, we're going to be best friends again. But there is that goodness and that rightness and that hope that comes from a reconciled relationship and a new way forward. We have been told that we are ministers of reconciliation. This is our job to do. And then Jesus ends by saying it's not too late to be reconciled. Come to terms quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court while you are still with him on the way. 
lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and the officer throw you in jail. Truly I say to you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So first he's saying this reconciliation doesn't just go to your brother, it goes to the person that's against you. And then he's saying it's not too late, even on the way to court. It is never too late to be reconciled. I think of Peter and Jesus. Peter has denied Jesus before he died, and Jesus goes to him. You haven't screwed up too much. Goes to him right after he's been resurrected and reconciles that relationship. I think of my old host dad. When I was an intern, I lived with um, this amazing family, and my host dad previously had um, had cancer and was on his deathbed in the hospital, and he had a vision of an angel that came to him and said, you need to forgive your dad who had passed away years before. And so Reed, on this bed, began to forgive his dad. He began to practice imaginative prayer and have these conversations with his dad, reconciling that relationship. It is not ever too late for reconciliation. 